0: At the UPS Store, we want to make this summer the summer of shipping. Summer ship a So you can start crossing items off your must-ship list. Like the vintage film camera your college kid needs for class. Or the vase you told your mom you would send her ages ago. And with our pack-and-ship guarantee, your items arrive safe or we reimburse you. So stop by your local store today for everything you need to be unstoppable. Visit the upsstore.com guarantee for full details. Available at participating locations. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable.
1: i Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and our special guest trader this hour, Nadine Turman, CEO of Solstein Capital. Welcome, Nadine. Tonight on Fast, the next AOL. Chris Harvey says this high flyer could be in for a reckoning, hearkening back to the dot-com bust. We'll tell you what it is. And later, fire eye on Fire, the cybersecurity stock rebounding, and then some from that hack earlier in the month. What's next for the company, and how should you trade it? Plus. When new tech goes old school, the report that sent shares of high-flying Zoom dropping today. And don't forget, we've got a special bonus edition of Fast Money coming up at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. So send us all your burning questions. You can tweet us at CNBC Fast Money. We just might answer them live on the air. We start off with a major move in yield today, the spread between five and 30-year treasuries hitting the highest level in more than four years on hopes of Brexit deals finally in sight. Uh, the possible passage of stimulus to Tuesdays hit three years' highs. Meantime, the British pound surging against the dollar. The move in rates also having an impact on the banks, a pretty sizable one. In fact, check out some of the gainers continuing their climb after a strong start to the week. So what play will yield you the most, Guy? See what I did?
2: what play will oh yeah yeah now yes that's that's, it's you know it's well spent money on that harvard education (laughs) melissa i have you know i have no doubt that you're basking in the afterglow of such a brilliant uh what what do they call that a pun is that a pun is that what that's called on i think listen good for tim good for dan by the way and welcome nadine banks have been the way to be it we we the place to be we've talked about that we tried to outline in mathematical equation why a name like Citibank should trade up to 61.5, 62. I know a lot of people have been outspoken about J.P. Morgan. I think Dan mentioned that Morgan Stanley was the best-looking chart he's seen in a while a few months ago. Blackstone making a new high. So the banks still work, although given these levels, they're probably due for a pause. And good for Tim on the resource trade. We've talked about that now seemingly the entire year, and that continues to work. Had a bit of a pullback a couple weeks ago. They seem to be back on the train again. If you continue to think that yields go higher, I think those stocks continue to go higher.
1: I mean, we mentioned Brexit. We hardly ever mentioned Brexit. Uh, it is the, the process that I wish would just either happen or not happen. <laughs> but the fact of the matter here in, t- in, in today's session, Tim, is that it had a giant impact on the move in the dollar. We had the Dixie actually approaching uh, our year lows here. And this is a trend, obviously, that's gone on all year. If you pull up the year-to-date chart on the dollar, it's about, down about 7% for the year, Tim. So the question is, does this weakness continue Um, And is the resource trade EEM all those trades tied to a weaker dollar still work next year?
3: Yeah, they they definitely work I I definitely think they're they're part of this inflationary reflationary dynamic with asset prices overall as the dollar weakens everything gets more expensive I mean, there's good news and there's bad news Um, I think there's potentially a lot of bad news that could come but and if you look at that Dixie chart um, You know a very wide range on this is 81 to, to 110 um, but there's no question that if we kind of drop below these uh, these levels around 89-ish, you, you could see the next move lower. Meanwhile, rates go higher uh, as more fiscalists gets chucked into into the mix. And this was the formula that, that a lot of people said was going to lead to lower dollar, higher rates. It's playing out. We also had rates that, that you know, after really starting to make a move uh, you know, six weeks ago, went through this convalescence period where, um, you know, really we have found a digestive, you know, base where I think that I do think they're moving higher. And and I do think banks have a lot of room to go higher. Uh, You've taken pressure off the regulatory dynamic. Everybody thought the Biden administration meant uh, headwinds to banks uh, in terms of regulatory. The stress test at least highlighted that banks do have capital to give back to investors. Uh, the, the steepness of the yield curve uh, is a one brain sell for people on banks. So there's no question banks should be breaking out here. And they offer the most value in, in a market here. So yes, banks, resources and EM stay in those trades.
1: Nadine, what's your take on, on whether or not the steepening of the curve continues or is it going to be like a rubber band where we approach one on the 10 and then we, we sort of pull back?
4: Well, I think that Tim is right that it is a play to go towards, but you have to trade it. The dollar down is now a consensus trade. So while we had a lot more conviction when it was non-consensus, so the opposite of that is EM up, materials up, Bitcoin up, a lot of different things do well when the dollar goes down. Once it becomes consensus, we have to be a little more careful. We become traders in those securities versus intermediate term holders. So what's your trade? (laughs) <laughs> well, coming into the day, we were short uh, EDBs and TLTs, so that's the extended duration treasuries uh, and called the intermediate term treasuries. And I've never seen such a, a big pop uh, down, so EDB was down over 5% today, which is a very large move for treasuries, so we took that off the table. So what I like to do is if I get overpaid, so Santa delivered early his Christmas gift to me, so I just took it off the table.
1: Dan, you like to be contrarian. Do you think those the trades are are now? I mean, EEM banks is that now consensus?
5: Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about the dollar because I think mm-hmm. I think as the panel has said, it just everything comes back to the dollar, and, and I agree. Um, It it is a really crowded trade. It is getting, you know, grinding lower and lower and lower. I think it's about to have a sharp kind of pullback here. And I think that, you know, as we look into 2021, um, if you were to have a sustained dollar rally, what that would mean for U.S. multinationals. We know that they've, um, some of the biggest tech companies here in the U.S. have enjoyed um, a huge pull forward in demand, just the way that they were positioned here um, into the pandemic. But going forward, they're really going to need that foreign growth. We know that that's a big part of these stories here. So a stronger dollar might not be great um, in 2021. As it relates to the banks, you know, Guy just mentioned Morgan Stanley we were talking about a couple months ago. You know, the stocks, in the group that were really levered to kind of wall street not main street did really well right morgan stanley broke out a couple months ago it's been on a runaway breakout the money center banks had consolidated a bit more we're starting to see those breakouts guy had a great call on city going back to 60. i would say bank america to me looks like the most interesting trade back up to those prior highs earlier in the year near 35 it doesn't even feel particularly extended right now and i know a lot of people are going to get behind this buyback trade i don't think you have to like get ahead of the buyback trade because it's going to go on for months and months of quarters and quarters, that sort of thing. And you may have some loan loss reserve released. I know Tim has been talking about that for a very long time. So to me, I think the big, chunky money center banks could make their way back to those prior 52-week highs over the next three to six months.
4: Nadine, are banks to consensus for you? Not banks themselves, just the, the dollar down trade. So mm-hmm. what we like to do is be long into the financials. I think you could hold them from this point. I don't see a problem with that. But you do have to be careful if you own other securities, that securities that rhyme, so they're correlated with the down dollar. Uh, so when you get oversized wins, you need to take those off the tables. But no, to answer your question, I don't think that they're completely consensus right now because, as um, Guy and Tim said, yield curve could keep steepening. And if that happens, you're going to continue to get paid
1: on these banks guy is there a concern or not a, i don't want to say a concern but in terms of these particular trades in in particular banks that the yield curve doesn't continue to steepen that that we do sort of approach key levels on the yield curve and we pull back um and because and, that's what seems to have been happening we approach what 0.97 we approach one we pull back so if that happens yeah. does that trade no longer work
2: no, I don't think so. I think Tim alluded to that. I think that's just one of the many components to be bullish in the banks. So mm-hmm. if you lose the yield curve, I don't think you're going to necessarily lose the banks. That's just my opinion. I, you know, there are other tailwinds working. And Tim and Dan and Nadine spoke to those. What I'll say quickly about the dollar uh, being consensus short, that's true. We've talked about it seemingly for the last six months as well. Citi put a note out a month and a half, two months ago, saying they saw 20 percent potential downside in the dollar in 2021. I agree with that. And I know the Fed officials watch the Fast Money. We're on for two hours tonight, so double your pleasure, guys and gals. But um, congratulations, because they've single-handedly figured out how to make the dollar weaker and interest rates go higher. And, by the way, by definition, uh, that's inflationary, because things cost more and your dollar's worth less. So there's inflation all around, and I don't necessarily want to go down this rabbit hole, but, you know, that's what's happening. And Janet Yellen the other day said something about a strong dollar policy, which is laughable. And the dollar laughed right at her. And I still think, although everybody seems to be on that side of the boat, the dollar goes down.
1: Oh, please. I mean, when, when Treasury officials or, or potential Treasury officials come out to talk about strong dollar policy, it doesn't often mean too much, uh, Tim. To and I'm sure Jerome Powell has his popcorn popped ready for two hours ahead of us. <laughs> you know, President Lock Biden has already said that whatever passes in Congress right now, whatever signed by President Trump, if he does, in fact, sign some sort of package, is a down payment. Tim, and that means to me, and that means to many traders, and this is why it's a consensus trade, that the dollar is in fact weaker. Um is that is that what your belief is
3: Yeah, and, and we're 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 having a, a thoughtful conversation balancing technicals and fundamentals and and, and momentum essentially. And and look. The dollar is a fundamentals trade right now. First of all, if you look at the Dixie and the components what make up the dollar basket, it's 65% euro, um, which, you know, for all Europe's problems, uh, the, the technicals and fundamentals around the euro are actually pretty good. And, and it's actually a current account surplus uh, uh you know marketplace uh, for the euro and so if you think about the the dynamics around the dollar you think about where industrial growth and we've had a manufacturing rebound in asia ahead of what's happening here you know, this, is, this is why this is a consensus trade, and I worry less about that. And, and, and again, moves in the dollar, moves in commodities, um, and moves in rates many times are longer-term cycle trades. I don't think that if we actually have structural weakness in the dollar, it goes away overnight. Yeah, day-to-day, week-to-week, we've seen momentum here, um, but I, I, I believe some of these fundamentals are well intact and and uh you know jiffy pop aside which by the way we've been doing a lot of during covid uh, and that's a good time if you haven't done that in a while um i i think you're going to see more pressure uh, upwards on rates remember normalized rates coming into covid were even on the low end of where we were coming from 160 on the 10-year you know that's where we should be uh and when we come out of here so i don't i think we've got a ways to go
1: here's Oh, Guy has his hand raised. Yes, Guy Dami, you have a question. Yeah,
2: but, yes, because we have, I actually, not a question. This is one of those, the more you know, NBC things, which I love. I haven't started one yet, but I hope to. But this might get me on the track. Um, for you folks out there that have the Jiffy Pop, you should wear an oven mitt because the metal handle, when you shake it across the, the open flame, gets very hot. And we don't want any of our Fast Money uh, fans and viewers to burn their hands. Back to you, Mel. Do,
1: do you not own a microwave, Guy Adami? Um, that will be on the Christmas list. Hold on, you list. can't put no, Jiffy Pop or... in the microwave. I don't, think that, I don't think there is that thing that you shake on the oven anymore, on stove anymore. I just think it doesn't yes. exist. Um, here, here is what could be an ugly side effect of rising rates, and that is rising mortgage rates. Dan, should we be worried about that housing trade that has been so hot, hot, hot this year?
5: Well, it's going to decelerate in 2021. It just has to. Some of the dynamics that were in place um, at the start of the year changed very quickly mid-year. So I don't think that any of the home builders or any of the lenders were expecting the sort of activity anywhere near that. So it's going to decelerate in 2021. I'll just mention, you know, all this talk, everyone's convinced that rates are about to go up. If you take a 10-year chart of the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield and you look at that 2012 low, then that 2016 low, that double bottom was supposed to be a generational low. That was right near that level that Tim was mentioning between 1.5 and 1.6. We got there again in 2019. We bounced and then we just crashed through it this year. That is massive, massive technical resistance. If you think the dynamics globally about interest rates of $20 trillion of negative yielding debt, you think that our rates are going to go too far too fast. If we got above 1.5 in 2021, the stock market is going to go much lower. Just go back to Q4 2008 when everyone thought that stocks and rates could go up together and all of a sudden the 10-year got above 3% and we saw the stock market go down 20% in a straight line. So to me, I think, again, to use a a, a line from Guy, careful what you wish for with those rates because the dynamics globally um, on the the rate front, I don't think really suggest that they should go much higher here.
1: I mean, 1.5, I don't think anybody's thinking 1.5, but if we even cross one Guy, what would stocks do?
2: Yeah, you know, people will say that's going to be bullish because it suggests economic growth. I I don't necessarily think that's the case, but I think that will be the consensus. What I'll say is if you're looking to play the home game in terms of something to watch, this 154 level in the TLT is vital to hold if you want rates to go back down. That was sort of the line in the sand back in June. I know Tim has spoken to this uh, as well, but to answer your question, you know, I think rates going higher is bullish to a point, and then you hit those diminishing marginal returns, and it probably comes in the form of that one-and-a-half level that Dan is just talking about.
1: Tim, you also have your hand raised. Last comment here.
3: Yes. Uh, could, I, I, I suggest, could you offer up a would-you-rather of 50 bips or 150 bips on the 10-year? Maybe to Nadine. Um, oh, because that's an interesting I, one. I think it's crazy.
1: You mean in terms of what yeah, it means for well, stocks?
3: Or where Yeah, I mean... Yeah. Sorry. I don't want to answer the question. What is or better the you for stocks? I, I think it's an interesting. What one. is worse for stocks? What is worse for stocks? What would you stocks? rather see basically correct? What or, or, or what would you rather see 50 bips or 150 bips on the 10 year um, as an environment that's good for stocks?
1: Oh, I've even got a thought on that. But I mean, <laughs> Nadine, please. Definitely
4: the, question. <laughs> definitely the lower number. I was going to say, if you gave me the choice of uh, 50 or 100 and I could reposition my portfolio, I'd go net short and ask for the 100. But I don't think that's your question. I definitely think you don't want to see rates go up very much. I actually think if things get over, you know, one, the one level, you're going to see a little bit of momentum on equities. But I, I unfortunately agree with everybody. Once you get to one five, you're starting to get into territory that people are not going to be happy with. Investors are going to put pressure on equities. So, uh, no, I would not want to to get uh, another 100 bips.
1: I I think, and we're going long in a second, but, Tim, I I believe that you pose that question because you think 150 would be better for stocks because it means economic activity.
3: I absolutely, if we're going to 50, uh, we should be very concerned about the economy, okay? That is telling you we've got deflation and this is out of control. Um, 150 to me uh, and it's not overnight and it's not saying it's then going to go to 250 but I want to see 150 and equity should love that. All right
1: let's turn now to the latest on the vaccine front and operation warp speed. Meg Terrell's got the latest. Meg.
6: Hey, Melissa, well, we got a briefing from Operation Warp Speed just now and got a sense for the pace of vaccine distribution for the rest of this month and into January. Uh, So we've learned that next week's allocations are going to be about 4.67 million doses of the vaccine going out. That'll be 2.67 million from Pfizer 2 million from Moderna. That's on top of the 7.9 million that went out this week and the 2.9 million that went out the week before. Now that gets us to about 15 and a half million doses in December. And the rest of that is going to be pushed into the first week of January. So that is a bit of a lag from what we were expecting for the 20 million doses, both getting out in December and getting those first shots into people's arms. That is going a little bit more slowly than the government had expected. And so we're going to keep watching this closely, hoping, of course, that the pace of being able to administer these vaccines Uh, really starts to pick up. Now, we got some updates also on the development front for vaccines for Johnson & Johnson, which is expected to be the next one where we get data potentially in January. And remember, that's just one shot. Uh, They could potentially, if those data are good, file for emergency use authorization late January, early February, according to Monsef Slaoui from Operation Warp Speed. Um, AstraZeneca, he says, has enrolled 27,000 of 30,000 people into its U.S. Phase III trial. Meanwhile, we heard from the U.K. today that they have submitted their package for approval to the U.K. regulator. So a bit of a mismatch where we might see the U.K. act on this vaccine where we're still waiting for the data from the U.S. Now, Novavax uh, is in discussions with the FDA to start its U.S. Phase 3, according to Monset Slaoui. That's been pushed back a couple months, uh, but we should potentially start to see that getting going. Now, some news today that really got eclipsed by this deal uh, with Pfizer to supply 100 million more doses of its vaccine was a deal between the U.S. and Merck to supply doses of its uh, COVID-19 drug for patients who have severe forms of the disease. It's a $356 million deal to manufacture and supply up to 100,000 doses of this drug uh, through June 30th of next year. It is not yet uh, cleared through the FDA, but Mel, it showed some really remarkable results in a interim uh, phase three trial that it reduced the risk of death or respiratory failure by more than 50%. This really kind of flew under the radar and Merck acquired this little company uh, to make this drug. And they signed that supply deal today. Melissa?
1: Wow, good news. Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell. So we've got more vaccines coming. We've got a possible treatment coming uh Dan Nathan all good
5: yeah, I think a way to play this, when you think of the XLV, that's the S&P uh, Healthcare Select ETF, some of the largest holdings are Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, Merck, UNH is one of the top ones. It's been basing here uh, between, I don't know, in and around 110 for the last month. It had a base below that between 100 and 105 It looks like it's really poised to break out. I think a lot of tailwinds, I, I, I get it, a lot of these companies are not going to be making the profits that they could on some of these vaccines and, and, and treatments, but I suspect that these are gonna be around for a while here. So um, to me, the XLV looks uh, poised for a breakout here. It's only up about uh, 11% on the year. Um, and that, you know, that's probably a way to play it without idiosyncratic risk in any one of these individual names.
1: What if you wanted to do individual names, Guy? Moderna, Pfizer, Merck?
2: Merck's its own category, you know, I think in, in full disclosure, my wife works for Merck, but uh, you know, Merck's obviously underperformed recently. I think in terms of how you play it, I mean, Pfizer showed its hand the day that big announcement came out. The stock spiked up to 43. We talked about it that night saying take the money and run, trade it back down to 37. It's probably level where it holds. Dan spoke about that last night. In terms of Moderna, look, I thought it was going to stop at 100. You saw where it went, but I still think that's a bit ahead of itself. And I think it does a back and fill back to 95. And the way to play it, we've said it for a long time. And we have two hours, Melms. IBB, new all-time high today. And oh, by the way, because we have so much time, you have to mention, I don't know what a yeoman is, Mel. I have no idea. But Meg Terrell has done absolute yeoman's work over the last nine months on the back of everything that's going on. Single-handedly, good for Meg.
1: She is the uh, MVP of CNBC. That's for sure. Coming up, a high flyer 2020 taking a hit on the chin today. What sent shares of Zoom to its lowest level in more than a month? And later, Chris Harvey joins us with his top three predictions for 2021, including why one of the biggest S&P 500 gainers of the year could be the next AOL. Break out the jiffy pop. Lots more fast money straight ahead.
0: At the UPS Store, we want to make this summer the summer of shipping. Summer ship a so you can start crossing items off your must-ship list, like the vintage film camera your college kid needs for class, or the vase you told your mom you would send her ages ago. And with our pack-and-ship guarantee, your items arrive safe or we reimburse you. So stop by your local store today for everything you need to be unstoppable. Visit the upsstore.com guarantee for full details. Available at participating locations. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at shares of Zoom dropping more than 6% today. The work from home darling reportedly considering expansion into other corporate services like email and calendar offerings. That's according to the information. So um, what do you make of a company that revolutionized the way we communicate getting into a, um, let's say, less than revolutionary technology? Dan, email, calendar services, does that sound like
5: growth to you? Well, it sounds like keeping your user in one place and on one platform, and that makes a lot of sense. I think we've talked about this on this show, especially over the course of the spring and summer when the stock was just skyrocketing higher. I mean, if I were these guys, I might take a look at at like Asana. This was a company that went public um, a couple months ago through a direct listing. It's got a four. In a half billion dollar market cap, that's exactly what they do. They were deemed to be a Slack competitor. We know that Salesforce made that bid um, for Slack. I, I think Zoom. I think it would be rewarded by shareholders if they were to do this. I don't think, you know, obviously it would be a dilutive deal, but I think that you're going to want to see how this company is going to kind of grow into this market cap, um, despite the fact that they are profitable right now. Asana is not. But to me, that makes perfect sense. And I think Zoom shareholders would be happy about a deal like that.
1: Yeah, DA Davidson said that Zoom, about this report, that Zoom is proactively investing in growth opportunities. And what Dan said in terms of the stock reacting well to an acquisition, Nadine, that would be, unusual usually with a big growth
4: company you want to see them grow not acquire growth sure especially when it's in definitely could be called tangential uh, business but in this case i kind of scratched my head so i'm a little bit on the opposite side of the coin as dan here uh, i remember back in Davita. obviously they were a leader in dialysis and they started spreading their wings in other parts of healthcare. care they got to be a disaster so you really have to say why are they doing it Is there not other, are there not other better capital allocation opportunities that they have? Do they have to be going after areas that already have leaders in the space, whether it's Google, you know, Microsoft or other players? So I'm more in the camp of, luckily, I don't have a dog in this hunt, but if I did, I would act like the investors did today. All right.
1: We're just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next.
7: We're
2: counting down to the first trading days of the new year. And Chris Harvey's got a stark warning about one of 2020's high flyers you won't want to miss. We'll tell you what it is and how you should play it. Plus, taking the court. What a new season of pro sports will look like and what it could mean for sports betting. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns.
0: At the UPS Store, we want to make this summer the summer of shipping. Summer ship So you can start crossing items off your must-ship list. Like the vintage film camera your college kid needs for class. Or the vase you told your mom you would send her ages ago. And with our pack-and-ship guarantee, your items arrive safe or we reimburse you. So stop by your local store today for everything you need to be unstoppable. Visit the upsstore.com guarantee for full details. Available at participating locations. Most locations are independently owned. Product services pricing and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Wells Fargo Securities is putting out its list of top predictions for 2021. So we're going to count down the top three with Chris Harvey, the firm's head of equity strategy. Chris, welcome. Good to see you. Um, let's start off with uh, number three, and this has to do with Republicans retaining control of the Senate. What does this mean for the markets? So,
8: so what it means for the market, if the Republicans do retain control of the Senate, typically the returns to the equity market are much better, But more importantly, we have a stable tax regime. And with a stable tax regime, what we expect to see in 2021 is significant amount of M&A activity and buyback activity. What you have are low funding costs. You have pent-up demand. You have an improving economy. And you have more than a trillion-dollar additional money on corporate balance sheets. And that's going to burn a hole in people's pockets. So if the Republicans stay in control, expect more M&A, more buybacks in 2021.
1: All right. Um, prediction number two. This one's puzzling to me, at least. The chart no longer needs to look good. <laughs> what does that mean?
8: All right, all right Melissa. For, for years on end, we were very flip and we were saying, hey, chart, chart looks good. And, and what we were saying is momentum strategies are going to work. Stocks that go up will continue to go up. Stocks that go down will continue to go down. And being a contrarian really doesn't work. or It's not going to pay out very well. But now what we're saying is this looks very much like 2003, 2009 when momentum strategies performed exceptionally well going into the recovery, people ran to them as a recession occurred, similar to what happened this year. But as a recovery unfolds, people want to get more exposure. PMs want to get more cyclicality. And what happens is momentum strategies become a contrarian indicator. And what you want to do is you want to, you want to invest in the chart looks bad or those broken charts. Things that have performed very well, we think are going to be indicators. Go, they're going to be a source of funds.
1: So are the best days of tech over? Do they happen in 2020? I
8: I think we've had some very, very good returns to tech. And it's not so much that they're over, over, but I think in the short term, you need to look elsewhere. You need to get cyclical in the portfolio. You need to get small caps in the portfolio, Mm -hmm. financials, and in addition to that, higher COVID beta plays.
1: All right. Um, Prediction number one, this is the interesting one. Tesla becomes the new AOL. Right. Now, is this the AOL so, that was acquired by Time Warner, or is this the AOL of today?
8: This, this is the AOL of 1998, December of 1998. Mm-hmm. And so what we're doing is we're not making a stock call here, but we're saying this is a sem- that was a seminal event. This is also a seminal event. And what that marked was the beginning of the end for growth technology, but really growth at any price. And what happened is AOL went into the S&P 500 in December 1998, 99 was a fantastic year for tech, fantastic year for growth. But in the following several years, many of your tech and your growth companies lost 50 to 100% of their value. And what we know in 2020, everything happens faster. So if it took 12 months for that to to begin or for things to roll over, it probably takes six months for that to happen now. And so we think this is going to be a very similar event. People will look back at, at this in time and realize that this was the beginning of the end for that growth in technology and momentum strategies.
4: Chris, I have a question for you. I'm trying to reconcile this prediction with the fact that implied volatility, if you're looking at it versus realized volatility on the SPY, Mm -hmm. it's plus 40%. So it's at a premium for the NASDAQ, it's plus 70%. Those are really high numbers. The max that we've seen uh, in quite a long time is about 80%. So I'm kind of scratching my head when people are paying up for protection on something like tech, how do you reconcile the fact that they're kind of already on the other side of that trade?
8: Um, so what we've been seeing and what I would say is we've been seeing the rotation since uh, midsummer, right? And the rotation is going to take a long time. This is going to play out not over weeks and months, but quarters and potentially years. Because if you look at the capitalization of a lot of the tech companies, a lot of the growth companies, it's significant. If you want to get cyclicality on the portfolio, you have to get into mid and smaller cap companies. That's going to take you a while to do that. With regard to realized vol and implied vol, one of the things we keep saying is we think volatility will be elevated for some time. It's not going to go back down to levels that we saw before. Have people got more defensive? We can look at this in a number of different ways. One of the things that we do know and one of the things that we have seen is short covering has been very, very aggressive over Mm. the last several months. And short interest is down significantly, especially in a small-cap place. That's space. And that's something to, to take note of.
1: Chris, thank you. Happy holidays. Thank you. Chris Harvey, Wells Fargo. Um, Guy Dami, do you like any of Chris's predictions? You can say no. You can say you like well, n- none of them. That's okay, too. We well, said goodbye I, then, to him, so it's all the, right.
2: The, <laughs> the, we, we, we could buy the guest, so I'm not going to bring him back. That's just like the cardinal rule of fast money, number one. Number two, I, I I thought AOL was a good thing. Like, I'm still confused over the AOL thing. I mean, that's me. You know I'm a bit of a dinosaur. Number three, I'm not convinced uh, the Republicans are going to win in Georgia. And I think the market's looking past the fact that with the the chance that the Democrats do win, I think there's a real risk to the market on the back of that one. So maybe market participants are hoping for that. I'm not convinced that's the case. And the fourth thing, Mel, if I may... um, the former Miss Runner-Up USA, who's now in Tennessee, she just texted me and said, "By the way, Melissa, there is Jiffy Pop, and they buy it in Tennessee." And I got the whole Twitterverse telling me the I same know, thing. I know. So there, we got I'm links to you know.
1: Buy it. We got pictures. Thank you, Twitterverse, for keeping us updated on on popcorn options. Coming up, we are heading into the cyberverse and digging deep into the surge in FireEye. It's a name that's been on Guy's radar for a while. We'll bring you the trade. And remember, there is a bonus hour of Fast Money coming up at 6 p.m. Eastern time. If you've got questions for our trader panel, we want to hear them. Tweet us at CNBC Fast Money. We've got much more after this break. Shares of FireEye firing up today, closing more than 7% higher. Shares were up 12% to the highs of the session, trading at levels not seen since 2015. Shares more than recovering from a hack earlier this month, which sent shares plunging that day. For more on this and the broader cybersecurity space, let's bring in Andrew Nowinski, Senior Research Analyst at DA Davidson. Andrew, great to have you with us. I read your note the day of the hack, and you actually uh, thought that FireEye would suffer reputationally and could possibly lose customers What happened in the course of, I mean, we know so much more about the hack, that FireEye wasn't the target per se, that there were other big companies, other government agencies that were targets as well. What makes this FireEye story compelling now?
9: Yeah, thanks for having me on, Melissa. So hats off uh, to FireEye. They really, you know, took the high road with regard to this breach, which is definitely benefiting their stock. And if you look at the transparency they provided, Uh, Only about five to six organizations so far out of the 18,000 that were breached have even disclosed that they were breached, um, and none have provided any details on how it happened. FireEye provided a tremendous amount of insight on the breach and and how it worked and what was stolen, and then second, you know, the 18,000 organizations that were breached, they will definitely need uh, Mandiant services that FireEye can provide for incident response to help clean up this breach. I'm sure Mania will be very busy going forward. Um, they're one of the top incident response uh, organizations in the world, uh, but it's highly unlikely that they have enough staff to meet demand. I, I'd say it's also a very low-margin business, so it's, uh, as an investor, you really don't want to see that kind of business increasing in miss and mix, unless it's uh, <clears throat> significantly uh, driving the sale of their products.
2: I hate to bring this up because it's typically a non-starter, but in this space, I think it's worthy of a question. Is this an acquisition target? I know it's been there for a while prior to this huge stock move, potentially still could be at these levels.
9: Yeah, yeah, fair question. So, you know, I think everyone uh, is in um, it, or covets the Mandiant uh, service that they have. It, it's the best in class incident response service, and that demand demand for that service will be likely in demand from now for the next 30 years. There's, there's always going to be a demand for responding to breaches. The problem is the rest of their, you know, their portfolio um, you know, isn't, isn't best in class compared to some other solutions. I'd, I'd say, you know, number one, they didn't stop the breach. They did lose their red teaming tools and data. It also took them nine months to detect the malware. Now, no one can blame them for unknowingly receiving that malware from SolarWinds. And they certainly don't make all the security tools they use in their infrastructure. No, but I would still question as to why, why did their HX series not detect this malware? You know, we think CrowdStrike, which has a best-in-class solution, could have actually stopped this breach, you know, which would make FireEye less appealing as a, uh, as a takeout candidate.
3: So, hey, it's Tim. So you may have just kind of given us, given me some insight into your, my, the answer to my question, which is the competitive landscape. Where, where do you see FireEye? Where do you see the industry like CrowdStrike, who really does seem to be growing, especially within the Fortune 500 companies?
9: Yeah, another good question. So, you know, first thing I would highlight is that if you look at the SolarWinds 8K from last week, they said the first thing that they did in response to this breach was to purchase the CrowdStrike software. I think that many of the, the 18,000 organizations that were breached will likely follow this lead. So we do think CrowdStrike is, is absolutely best positioned in terms of the competitive landscape uh, and should benefit from that uh, going forward in, in 2021. Now, there's other, other things that went wrong in this breach. There's a lot of different products that failed along the way after the mal- malware got in. Um, we think one of the best ways, really, to defend your organization from becoming the next victim is to embrace what's called the zero trust framework. We think Zscaler really has, is one of those stocks that's uh, completely built their entire organization around zero trust. Okta is another one, very complimentary to zero trust. CrowdStrike also, very complimentary to zero trust. Um, so I would say those are some of the top ideas in terms of you know who could benefit from uh, the competitive landscape going forward because of this breach.
1: Andrew, great to speak with you and get your thoughts. We appreciate it, Andrew Nowinski. D. A. Davidson, CrowdStrike 52-week high yesterday. Zscaler, which you just mentioned, uh, new high in today's session. Nadine, is this an area that tempts you?
4: You know, it reminds me of uh, what I tell my kids. Right, when you have a problem, say it early and explain it, and don't do it again. And I think that that's what happened today, uh, as you saw with FireEye. But as um, as we heard. Basically, it comes down to the products, and products are leapfrogging each other, and we don't necessarily know along the chain which products have had the problem or let the problem through. So I think you have to be pretty careful when selecting these companies, especially in the back of, um, obviously, the, the issue here. So it's not it's not an area that I'm playing in right now. I'm just letting it watch, and um, we'll see if something uh, surfaces that it gets a little bit more exciting. Guy, just quickly, you've been hot on
1: FireEye, but uh, Andrew brought up a good point in terms of the kind of business that might come from this hack is a lower margin business, which you wouldn't want.
2: Yeah, I totally get it. And, you know, the other part about the FireEye move was when everybody else got hacked. I think that gave air cover to FireEye in terms of the stock. And we spoke about that a couple weeks ago. Look, the stock has now doubled apparently in like a week and a half, which is, as you know, completely ridiculous. And it traded 48 million shares, I think, today or just short of 48 million. It typically trades six. So you probably blew out a lot of shorts. You got a lot of latecomers in. So if you're taking money off the table here, it's probably the right move. But the space is in play. We've talked about Palo Alto Network seemingly forever. That seems to make a new all-time high every day. I think you stay with Palo Alto. Take money off the table and fire eye. Look for the pullback to the low 20s. All
1: right. Coming up as the NBA season kicks off, we're breaking down what investors should expect. From the rest of the major sports leagues as we head into 2021. Plus, it's been a volatile year for stocks and option traders are foreseeing even more wild moves ahead. We'll tell you what they are looking at and how to play it. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Pass Money. Investors hitting the home stretch to position themselves for the new year. But will they have reason to cheer in 2021? Mike Coe spotted some unusual activity in the options market that's signaling the answer could be yes. Mike, do tell us.
9: Yes, I was taking a look at the VIX index, the volatility index, and we saw puts outnumbering calls by more than 2 to 1 today. And most of that activity was concentrated in the March 21 and 20 strike puts. Now, everybody should remember, Those are puts on the March VIX future, not the spot VIX, which is the number that closed at just over 23 today. So while we had thought last week maybe it might drop a little bit lower, it seems that options traders right now might be betting that the longer term VIX futures will start to come in, and that could be a good sign.
1: Dan, what would you make of that action?
5: Yeah, pretty interesting, definitely on the put side, because we know that there's just kind of a really interesting relationship to the put versus calls. The, the VIX will only go so low. I'll just mention this. If Guy is right and there are surprises in this Georgia Senate runoff in January 5th, 23 in the spot is going to feel pretty cheap if, if Guy got the move that he would expect on a unforeseen outcome.
1: You think we go to 30?
5: Easily. We were there, what, last week?
1: Yeah, that's true. Mike, thank you. Mike Co. Up next, as the winter sports season kicks off, we'll break down how the stay-at-home environment is impacting sports betting and the media landscape. And don't forget, there's still time to send us your burning trading questions at CNBC Fast Money. We'll start answering them at the top of the hour. So don't go anywhere. This super-sized edition of Fast Money continues after this break. Welcome back to Fast Money. The NBA season kicked off with a bang last night. The Brooklyn Nets beat the Golden State Warriors 125-99 in the first game of the season. But with no fans in the stands looking likely anytime soon, the league is looking at new media strategies and sports betting to fill the gap, and they aren't the only league doing so. How could that look? Our next guest has some ideas. Let's bring in Paul Rabel, founder of the Premier Lacrosse League. Um, Paul, great to see you again. Um, of course, the PLL just merged with Major League Lacrosse. So you say that this provides a singular destination for fans. Um, I would imagine this this uh, gives the sport an advantage as well in terms of selling itself, whether it be media coverage or streaming rights or any other kind of rights to carry the games.
10: Yeah, absolutely. It's great to be back. Happy holidays. Um, I, I think with niche sports in particular, the ability to coalesce and have a singular message is important. And for us, when we look at, future road to profitability and just larger revenue, uh, looking at the commercial opportunity of bolting on now, entering our third season, 20 years of pro lacrosse history. That's looking like close to 4,000 hours of 20 years of games that the MLL had played that we could provide in a streaming service package, as well as part of the announcement, we said that we'll expand to an eighth team, which is additional commercial assets in market now. And as we continue to grow, we'll, we'll catch up to the legacy leagues.
5: Hey, Paul, it's Dan. Great to have you back, bud. And congrats on the deal. Um, Thanks, Dan. Quick one for you here. You, you know, you guys, you had that that bubble season this past summer. Very successful. Um, you know, it was all over NBC, all their properties, that sort of thing. Obviously, no fans. Um, how important was the sports gambling integration? You guys had done a, a deal with DraftKings. Was that, did that help engagement? And do you see that as a really important part of the offering, the media offering going forward? Yeah, it's huge. Uh, a lot of the
10: sports properties have learned that we need to be more nimble and not as reliant as, call it, Major League Baseball the traditional path to building a sports league on ticket sales. The NBA, which you referenced, Mel, is re- typically relying on 20% or 30% of their revenue on tickets. We're looking at a modern sports age where it's media rights, sponsorship, now sports betting, merchandise, in many cases, the EPL leapfrogs ticket sales. Um, and on the sports betting front, Dan, we did a deal with DraftKings last year, and it was huge. I think what the sports betting and the gaming operators are looking at now is, is live broadcast, live odd integration. Um, and we're seeing networks now cut deals with gaming operators. If you look at ESPN and DraftKings or NBC and PointsBet, so the properties are going to wedge their way in. That's part one. Part two is, I think in 2022, I don't think it'll happen in 2021, we're going to start seeing the entrance of bio data uh related to players so wearable technology like whoop on players that being integrated to the broadcast experience leading to more viewership and a larger handle sports betting in october had three billion dollars legally registered so we'll see that number continue to grow and more league revenue Mm -hmm. opportunity and more network revenue opportunity into 2021.
1: wow that's quite a figure in terms of sports betting for october paul always great to see you and get your thoughts thanks paul rabel happy holidays Uh, tim seymour you like the betting franchise
3: i do uh, you know and and i like what paul has to say because he's he's giving us also a bigger picture look at, at sports media uh, and the sense here is that the, the engagement factor of which, look, a lot of the networks are struggling with, whether it's, you know, linear TV especially, though. Um, and, and I think, you know, sports is an opportunity to, to really get the engagement going. Again, he's talking about, um, you know, metrics related to players and being able to actually uh, get deeper into the, the underlying participants, but also just the odds and the sports betting that keep people glued to the screens. Um, question is who wins? And I think there are new kings or the, 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 you know, ultimately a changing of the guard certainly is going to include some of the biggest streaming companies in the world and not necessarily uh, some of the legacy players. Although, let's face it, Disney uh, and NBC and Comcast, certainly our parent company, are in as good of a place as most uh, of the legacy players. But uh, again, watch YouTube, watch uh, Amazon, and, and I think you're going to reset uh, the sports media world.
4: Nadine, is uh, sports betting investable for you? It is. And I liken it to something like the cannabis stocks, where I don't have to be participating in the underlying product, uh, but I can like it and invest in it. And here what you see is just uh, the new generations Mm -hmm. and the way that people want to spend their time and spend their money is just different from decades ago. And so I got to agree with Tim here that um it's a place you want to be invested we've been invested around the world in various stocks Mm -hmm. Um, and so i like what i hear is that i don't have to watch lacrosse but i totally get engagement (laughs) and i get the fact that you can make money from different sources that probably have incremental profits that are more attractive than maybe even your underlying business
1: all right time for the final trade let's go around the horn we start off with somebody who does like lacrosse a lot dan
5: (laughs) yeah um good for pll Um, i like xlv here breaking out
1: nadine
4: it's obvious. i A-D-Y-Y. He business
3: out of Europe. Tim. Higher rates still okay for Sherwin-Williams Housing Trade. Guy. You know, typically I know much time is left in the show tonight. I don't, but I'll say
2: Rabel is a stud number one, and Blackstone, I think, continues to go higher number two.
1: Do not go anywhere. A bonus hour fast money starts right after this. Hello, Mad Money fans. Jim is off today, but we've got a special edition of Fast Money in store where we're taking all of your questions, including big ones on airlines, hotels, banks, IPOs, Facebook, Amazon, Disney, and so many more. Here for some answers, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, and Dan Nathan. Well, it has been a big year for you individual investors out there. According to Clearing Data, your top trades have included airlines, Virgin Galactic, and IPOs. So let's start in that order
11: andrew here from the beautiful pacific northwest just had a quick question uh, airlines is now a good time in particular american airlines been watching them for a while with the vaccines rolling out uh, and people starting to come out and travel uh, just curious if now is a good time to jump into some of the airline stocks uh, happy holidays
2: to you and your families thanks a lot
1: guy what do you tell andrew in washington
2: PNW, they call that the Pacific Northwest. See, I'm hip. I know. Andrew, thanks for calling in. Listen, American Airlines actually traded up the level we saw on June 8th, I think 20-ish and failed, whereas Delta traded to that June 8th high and ratcheted through. I think that tells you all you need to know, in my opinion, about American Airlines. Tim can speak to this as well. But one of the things we've talked about now for the last month or so is the levered play is in a name called SPR, Spirit Aero Systems. That stock's been on fire And that's really levered to what's going on with Boeing. So Delta over American,
5: SPR over both.
1: You go for the airlines, Dan, or the parts suppliers to the airlines?
5: Uh, I think you go for the airlines, but here's a little fun fact from the Pacific Northwest. Remember that D.B. Cooper guy? Well, I have a feeling that if you look at that picture, go Google it, kids. Guy Adami looks like D.B. Cooper. He jumped out of a plane back in 1971 in the Pacific Northwest. That being said, um, JetBlue, I think, is really interesting. I think you want to stay in these domestic plays. I think you want to stay with the ones that didn't have the max um, sort of exposure. And I'll just say this. I just booked my first flight in a year, which is kind of astounding when you think about how frequently we all used to fly, which will be 13 months from my last flight. That is just an astounding thing if you think about it. So to me, I like JetBlue. I like the domestic
3: play here.
1: And Tim, you are in actual airlines.
3: Yeah, I, look, I, I, I own Delta. Um, I own a little Alaska. And I think this is a case where uh, you've had a very good run. And I think you need to be careful uh, about buying airlines that you think will normalize earnings faster. We know that the international is in a difficult spot. We know business travel, uh, which is the bread and butter, is going to come back more slowly. Uh, but I, I do think you've got a case where best and breed have probably gotten stronger. Delta did nothing dilutive during this period in terms of their equity shares. And, and I'm a long term holder.
1: I can hear the Internet breaking all the people Googling D.B. Cooper and who is D.B. Cooper. Yeah, Guy, quick question for you. What what is it? No,
2: the, There's a problem now because I have to leave the show because <laughs> I, I guarantee in about 30 seconds you're going to see the sirens from the, the officials from the Federal Bureau of Investigation <laughs> circling my house sure. because they've been looking for D.B. Cooper. Who's to say I'm not? And Dan just outed me on national
3: TV. Jerk.
1: We'll see. Let's get to our next question from air to space.
3: This is Peter from Hackensack. Virgin Galactic stated mission, purpose, and vision caught my attention earlier this year. I've been day trading Virgin Galactic on the swings and have done nicely. I'm currently holding a large block of shares which I purchased at about 20. I'm wondering, should I go long on the entire position, trade some
10: of it on swings, or consider other alternatives?
1: Interesting question. Tim, what's the answer?
3: Well, trading this thing on swings and momentum and volatility is something you get a lot of. and I think this stock has certainly been part of it's a thematic story, which is not one where anyone should be caring about fundamentals, frankly. Um, I, I am not a player in this space. I do think that this is a, a an interesting concept. Obviously, the aborted uh, mission about 10 days ago gave the stock a lot of volatility to the downside. The chart actually looks quite interesting. Um, and it looks like it consolidated and certainly is brought back after those losses and it looks like it's probably moving higher.
1: Yeah, that was a 17% drop or so that day. Guy, what's your advice?
2: Well I mean if Karen Feynman were here she would say correctly it doesn't matter where you're long something, it only matter where is where it's going. So try to get that cost thing out of your head number one. Number two, the stock has given you ample opportunities since the beginning of the year to trade around it. When I say opportunities, to Mel's point, it has 15, 20, 25% swing. So take advantage of that. Stay along the core position, trade around it. That would be my advice.
1: All right, let's get to uh, our first question on 2020 IPOs.
2: Hey, traders.
9: John here from Minnesota. A question for you on DraftKings. Uh, Five to 10-year outlook with states running at a deficit, probably needing to find money somewhere. And an easy answer would be, Um, legalizing online betting. Thanks.
1: Dan.
5: Uh, Yeah, I think you have the time horizon correct and I think you have the catalyst also very correct and again, I think just like we were just talking about that last name, this stock has been very volatile and there's going to be a lot of supply. It came public this year through a merger, through a SPAC, um, and there's going to be lockups. So you're going to have these periods where the stock sells off. There is a trend line. Go back to April, touch the early November low. If you get this thing back in the the low 40s, that looks like a good opportunity to kind of reload. But I think around that same question of the last one. I think you trade around a stock like this with the idea that you have a long term time horizon and you always want to keep a core holding in it.
1: It's an interesting notion that states need the money. And so therefore, we'll we'll look to legalize something, Tim. And we saw that play out um, to some degree in the cannabis space. We're continuing to see that play out across states. Do you do believe this happens in betting as well?
3: Look, there's rationalization around is this something that that can raise money and and how bad was it? And if we regulate it uh, and we actually make it transparent and we actually have the ability to make it safer, um, this is all good stuff. Yes, these are the same things that have gone on in cannabis. Um, I think as it relates to betting, it, you, know, it, you have some of the same risks, obviously well-defined risks in terms of uh, where betting has been uh, off-limits for sports and, in fact, the embracing of the sports community and the the, the co-branding. And you know, to me, um, I think it's very early days. And, and Unlike Galactic, which I have trouble buying something that makes no money, DraftKings isn't going to make money uh, for the foreseeable. But the market share and the way you value this on a, on a price to sales, but some percentage of this addressable market over the next two to five years, at least right now, is why I like DraftKings as one of the legacy players.
1: Guy, you are nodding, I assume, in agreement.
3: Uh,
2: how many U.S. states are there? That's not a trick question. I know you know the answer to that. Five zero. Why? They're fifty, half a hundred. We well, say half a hundred because if you say fifty, sometimes it sounds like fifteen. That's another PSA. Because well, the great thing about this country are the accents. I mean my accent is just basically. You're gonna dumb. comment
1: on the Minnesota accent. John's
2: accent, the Minnesota accent was tremendous. Did you catch that? I mean it's unbelievable good for John, number one. Number two, DraftKings basically that secondary, that 32 million share secondary they did, I believe at 52 and a half, that took all the wind out of the sales of the stock. It's recaptured that. I think you stayed long right at this level. And to Tim's point, it's not what they're doing now. It's what the addressable market is in the future. I know I hate that term, but it's true in terms of DraftKings. I think it goes higher from here, John. And thanks for calling in.
1: (laughs) It's a video question, so thanks for sending uh, the video in. All right, I want to get to this next question because it is a special one.
12: Hello, I'm Sam. I'm Alan. And I'm Kate. We have a special triple Christmas would you rather. When each of us graduated from kindergarten, we chose two investments. We all chose Disney, which has done very well. Our other stocks rely on strong consumers domestically and foreign. We want to know what you think of our stocks. Would you rather Starbucks, Apple or McDonald's? Thank you and Merry Christmas.
1: Sam, Ali, and Kate are adorable, and they are very astute investors. Um, Tim, what's your advice?
3: First of all, I I think the approach to uh, starting them young and and, uh, learning about markets is extraordinary here. How well-spoken. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> these girls are adorable and and the would you rather rather uh, they obviously watch fast money as well and i think the story around disney and and some sense that the reopening trade is something that disney uh is part of the reopening process and starbucks as well um if you add me to you know, would you rather rather? uh, You know, I I think it's it's Starbucks. Starbucks, to me, is the most bulletproof stock in the middle of this. And I think they've proven that in good times and bad. And they're growing their investor base. Their digital and and their loyalty programs uh, mean that the company is more valuable than it was yesterday. And that continues.
1: Guy, what's your advice to the to the three young ladies?
3: Yeah, stay in school.
2: <laughs> That's my number one. I'm kidding. That's a joke, Mel. You can laugh. I mean, of course they're going to stay I'm in laughing school. Inside. They sound like the, like the Andrews sisters. It's genius. My would you rather rather out of the ones they picked would be uh, McDonald's. Obviously, Apple is a great call. And Disney, I think there was just a price target raise on Disney. A lot of people think, Tim included, that thing's headed well north of $200 a share. But McDonald's is the standby. That's the staple. Mac is back. Comps have been fantastic. It's a technology play to boot. MCD, my play. We
1: love the McRib, that's for sure. Dan, are you just going to confuse the girls and say Apple?
5: <laughs> well, it's a good thing. It's a good thing we didn't line up guys' three kids because they would have said Tilray, DraftKings, and Constellation, um, and I would say stay in co- uh, school, kids. Um, All right. The answer for those three beautiful young kids would be Apple, I think. You know, listen, I I think a lot of the reopening trade um, is in Starbucks here. I think Disney, their streaming stuff is kind of accounting for a lot of the stuff that will be part of the reopening trade when that happens. Um, But right here, I just think, again, Apple looks poised to break out into the new year here. So to me, I like the Apple here.
1: All right. Oh, by the way girls, send us another video and let us know what you ultimately choose. We'd love to hear. Coming up in this special edition of Fast Money, answering your questions, hotel stocks versus Airbnb and the return of the banks in 2021. We will be right back. Welcome back to this bonus hour of Fast Money. We're taking a look at some hotel stocks with our next viewer question.
8: Hey, guys, this is
9: Jackson Phillips from Houston, Texas. I'm a huge fan of Fast Money, and I watch it every chance I get. I wanted to hear your thoughts on the hotel industry currently, but more importantly, Hyatt Hotels Corporation. Now that vaccines are rolling out, how do you see the stock performing over the next year? Thanks
4: so much.
1: Before we answer Jackson from Houston, let's bring in Seema Modi, who's got more on hotel space and a lot of unfilled rooms this holiday season. Seema,
12: Yeah, it certainly is, uh, Melissa. Nearly a billion rooms left empty this year. That's a milestone that the lodging industry never thought it would see. And it reflects just how COVID, the migration to more remote locations, and the decline in international tourism has challenged the travel sector. Going into the new year, hotel occupancy, the rate continues to fall as COVID cases rise, currently at 38%. And that's one of the reasons many high-profile hotels have had to shut their doors this year. Get this, nearly 70% of properties in Houston and 50% in Chicago have fallen behind on debt payments. But the shares of major hotel operators, yes, they suffered at the height of the pandemic, but the promise of a highly effective COVID vaccine, that's prompted a rebound in Marriott, Hyatt. Both of those hotel operators' shares up 30% in the past two months. So how quickly will travel pick up? Well, UBS survey found that more Americans are getting more comfortable with the idea of taking a vacation four to six months out from now, Melissa. But then the key question is, will they pick a hotel or an Airbnb? That is a good question, Seema. Thank you. Uh, And by the way, we'll get to
1: Airbnb in just a second. But we do want to answer the question on hotels themselves. So, Tim, what's your uh, answer to Jackson.
3: My answer to Jackson is: I, I think if you can be a, a longer-term player, uh, then I think you and, and can be patient and find the right balance sheets. I think I think this is a trade that's. Reasonably interesting. It's it's a neutral trade for me right now. Uh, I think if you look at Hyatt, I, you know their third quarter trends. They lost about fifty million dollars, uh, but if you look at where their their revenue per available room, it's more than doubled off of the lows. And I think those trends will continue. And I and I think it's a company that's well positioned. There are secular trends uh, that are that are also issues facing the industry, but um, I think Hyatt long term looks good.
1: Dan, you just said you booked your first stuff light. So a hotel along with it. Yes.
3: Yeah. So so
5: listen, I, I think Tim really kind of laid it out pretty nicely there. I just say technically on the Hyatt, you know, $70 where it's been basing above over the last month or so seems like really good technical support. Go back to 2019. That was the level it broke down below earlier this year when the pandemic made it very clear that people were not going to be traveling and staying hotels. So to me, I think you have about $10 a downside if you have this um, reopening trade kind of slow down a little bit over this winter. But I think you have probably $20 at upside. So um, I like the trade if you can hang out with it right here.
2: You agree on Hyatt, Guy? You like it? It went from 94 at its peak to 24, traded back to 78 level. I actually think it's going to go down first. They just announced expansion in Europe, I think on December 7th, which is probably about the worst time you could possibly announce expansion into Europe. And it's given you opportunities to trade in and out. I think it will give you another one, Jackson Phillips. And Mel, The most famous Phillips in Houston, as you know, is a great bum Phillips who famously said when asked about Earl Campbell's inability to run a mile, when it's third in a mile, I won't give him the ball. I'm just another PSA. I'm loaded with PSAs tonight, by the way.
1: A font of knowledge guy tonight. Uh, As Seema has mentioned, hotel alternatives also in the minds of travelers and investors.
10: Happy holidays. My question is about Airbnb. It seems that since it's IPO, the stock has moved in opposite direction as traditional hospitality stocks like hotels and cruise lines. Is this your consensus? And if so, will this trend continue over time? Thank you.
1: Dan, what do you tell Vince in California?
5: That's a great question, Vince. And I would say it has more to do with the dynamic of supply versus demand. There just aren't too many companies out there that do what Airbnb does. Now, obviously, Expedia has a big part of their business that is um, that. So I just think it's investors who are saying to themselves, this thing just came public. I want exposure to this very disruptive company um, going forward. That's probably why you see money continue to go in there. Um, I like Airbnb. I think it's going to continue to just wreak havoc on the hotel industry but the hotel industry will be around um, I just don't think you have to buy Airbnb right here
1: yeah I mean you can think that something is revolutionary and you can think that something will gain share it may not necessarily make a great investment at current prices Tim what are your thoughts
3: I, I mean you talk about at current prices I mean where this thing has come from on valuation in in the last 18 months is extraordinary Uh, And I think that's really what this comes down to for me. I I hate the valuation. Um, I think there needs to be some consolidation here. Uh, Totally different industries on the same level. They also were revolutionizing transportation as a service. Uh, Uber, it took a long time for investors to really understand the valuation, significant consolidation before you actually built the base here. I think you're going to have to see the same thing in Airbnb. Uh, The IPO is an extraordinary event, and extraordinary for me means uh, I find it uncomfortable.
2: Guy? Rick Heitzman was on recently, and you talk about some of the great investors Mm -hmm. of the 21st century. He's on that list Just look at the things that he invested in early. And Airbnb was one of them. And we asked him spot the same question. You know, what do you think about Airbnb at these valuations? And he did not hesitate. He said he still liked it here for the number of reasons. I encourage you to go back and watch that interview. If it's good enough for Rick Heitzman, who, again, knows the space cold, it's good enough for me. So congratulations and stay with it.
1: We get a lot of questions on reopening trades. You get a lot of questions about travel trades, Tim, within broadly. Uh, What's your top pick?
3: Within travel? Sorry, I didn't. Yeah, within travel. Yeah, I, I like bookings. And, and again, I like bookings as a, as a relative value play over Expedia. But if you look at the margins there, uh, and frankly, the management team has is, is proven to be, I think, slightly ahead of the field. Um, also, uh, you know, I feel comfortable with that business model. I think they will come back. And that is one that I think if you pay your, pay your dues, uh, you probably paid your dues. I think you, you, you're going to see better days ahead.
1: All right. We've still got lots more ahead on the special edition of Fast Money. We're taking your questions up next. The battle of the banks continues. A revival in 2020. Could that continue to 2021? And the call's growing louder. Facebook's facing the possibility of antitrust regulation in 2021. We'll discuss that. We're back in two. Welcome back to this bonus hour of Fast Money. We're tackling the financials with this next question.
10: Hey, guys. I was just wondering, with the banks being able to buy back shares, I was looking to start a position. I was wondering which one you guys would uh, recommend, either Bank of America or Morgan Stanley. Thanks.
1: Peter's got a Would You Rather. But before we get our traders' perspective, remember just a few days ago, Fast Money friend and technical analyst Chris Varone of Strategas, he weighed in.
10: Our favorite name in the group, our favorite name for 21, really in any sector, is Morgan Stanley. I mean, no one has made Morgan, no one has made any money in Morgan Stanley in 20 years. That is changing here in a very, very big way. This is a huge breakout over the last several weeks here. I think any weakness into the new year should be bought. This is one of our favorite ideas. I think the banks in general are starting to assert themselves. And what we have said is a broad market. And the banks getting involved, I think, is reflective
5: uh, of
1: that. Dan, we'll go to you first. You actually uh, called Morgan Stanley one of your favorite names not that long ago.
5: Yeah, that was before it broke out of 60. And I see the same stuff that Chris Verone sees. um, But it did break out from 60 and it went straight to 69. So I think what his message was there is buy it on any pullback. 60, which is a multi-year breakout, um, should be a great support. So I agree with that. If you back the chart all the way out, I think Chris showed us a long-term chart going back 20 years. It broke that. Um, that, that downtrend. So you have a high that's probably close to $85, $90 that eventually it'll get back to. But I also like the money centers um, in Bank of America. I don't think you plow into them here. We just said that in the last hour because of the buyback announcement. But there's some pretty good trading setups for it for the near future.
1: Bank of America, or Morgan Stanley to answer Peter's question, Tim, which?
3: Morgan Stanley, uh, you went on to ask Chris, by the way, uh, is this just in the banking space It's your top pick? And he went on to say, no, uh, this is one of our top picks overall, high conviction. And I think the Eaton Vance acquisition uh, on top of the E-Trade, but their move more into the asset wealth management businesses, which they were already incredibly strong in, has de-risked this company and put more consistent uh, revenue stream on top of this, which raises the multiple of the company. So I like Morgan Stanley. I, I do think, though, that money center banks, it's why I had a little trouble answering the question. I like them both. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I think Citi and Bank of America are poised to outperform here because, in fact, they were the cheaper ones and have more operational leverage to all the trends that we're talking about that are tailwinds for banks.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think that's a key thing. One doesn't preclude the other in terms of investing in Morgan Stanley versus investing in Bank of America. And they do expose you, Guy, to different things. But with that in mind... Because I believe you like Morgan Stanley as well. With that in mind, which other bank would you pair with Morgan Stanley?
2: So uh, I'll answer the question first. Joker, Mm -hmm. Joker, and the triple. The answer is Morgan Stanley for all the reasons the guys just stated. And they have figured out how to be in three very distinct business models and succeed in each one. Good for them. Where else would I be? I think Citi. We outlined the argument for Citi when it was trading in the low 40s. How at 59% of tangible book, it just didn't make any sense. We thought it could go to 85% which coincided with 61 and a half. That's where we are now. I think Blackstone to go off the board for 500, Melissa, is very interesting. I think that just made a new 52-week high. And I think that's a name you can still be in at these levels. I think out of all of them, and it pains me to say this a great deal, because uh, everybody seems to love Goldman Sachs. I think GS is the paper tiger in this group.
1: I think that that should be an addendum segment to, would you rather, off the board. So I'll pose that same uh-huh. question. Ooh. If you go had to go off the board, Tim, which financial?
3: If I had to go off the board, uh, I'd, I'd probably get into... The question is, do you get into the insurance companies here, uh, which have very healthy dividend yields, and now we have a little bit more clarity? That's possible. But, I, 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 again, I like the money center banks, and I want to be exposed to, to, to Bank of America. That's, actually, that's on the board, isn't it? It is
1: on the board. Um, yeah, you're not so playing the game let me, right. Let me sti-
3: go ahead. Let, Try again. Let, let, me go, let me go with an HIG. Uh, I, I think hmm. an insurance play okay. in the financial sector is, is going to continue to outperform.
1: I know. Off the board is a little – It's it puts you on the spot a little bit. You know, has, you have to think – It's off the board, you know, uh, uh, Dan, I'll uh, same question to you.
5: Yeah, um, American Express, it broke out on November 9th. That was the day of the the Pfizer vaccine. Um, It broke out above 20 percent. I think it was up that day. It came back in. I thought 110 was a good level here. Here it is at 116 down from 125 just a few weeks ago. So I like picking at this one, playing for a high back towards 135. I think that's where it was trading before the pandemic.
1: Guy, you are on fire. First, wrap it or scrap it, now off the board. So you get two gold stars for the month of December. All right, around the bend here, more of the special viewer-driven Q&A version of Fast Money, including, will 2021 be the year of the tech come comeuppance, Facebook and regulation, Amazon and unions? You asked it. We will answer it right after this. Welcome back to the special bonus hour Fast Money. We've got plenty of your questions left to answer, and we're getting social on this next one.
10: Good evening, traders. Thank you for taking my question. My name is Jack, and I'm from Michigan. I've held onto Facebook for the majority of the year, and I've seen some great profits because of it. But between our standoff with Apple and their ongoing antitrust lawsuit, do we think that maybe it's time to take some profits off the table and look elsewhere for some short-to-midterm opportunity?
1: Before we answer, Jack, let's get to Julia Borson, who's got more insight on digital advertising and the competition there. Julia.
7: Well, Melissa, Facebook has warned about headwinds to digital ad targeting, in part from Apple's new operating system, which will make it easy for users to opt out of ad targeting based on their activity on your phone. Now, another big change coming is that Google is joining Chrome and Firefox in phasing out third-party cookies. That's what enable ads to follow you around the web. And that phasing out is supposed to happen by the end of next year. We're also expecting more privacy regulations. After last week, the FTC directed nine companies, including Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Snap, to provide information about their data gathering, algorithms, and advertising. And the EU just proposed new tech regulation, including letting users see and modify Google's parameters for ad targeting. Truist analyst Yusuf Squality says he believes Google and Facebook's market share is peaking and could decline after next year. But on the flip side, the ad giants have a massive new opportunity around online shopping. E-Marketer forecasts worldwide retail e-commerce will reach $6.3 trillion by 2024. That's up from $3.9 trillion this year, saying as e-commerce is Facebook's largest ad vertical, it is well-positioned to lead the industry. Melissa? All right,
1: thank you very much. Julia Borston with the latest on Facebook and the competitors there. Uh, Dan Nathan, antitrust issues have not uh, historically moved the stocks or impacted the stocks much Could they in 2021, or is it the sort of um, focus on ads still that will drive the shares?
5: Well, I I think both, right? And we talked about this, I think, the other night. You know, this is a company that's supposed to grow earnings 12% next year. We know there's a lot of spending to deal with these suits Mm -hmm. and deal with some of the privacy issues. But sales are expected to grow about 25%. It trades about 25 times. It's a cheap stock for that sort of growth considering their market share in online ads. All that being said, the suits are coming now from the government, and we just don't know how this is going to play out. And anybody who wants to tell you that it's going to be similar to Microsoft, I'm telling you it's going to be different. That was an enterprise product. Um, obviously, it was around a consumer-facing product with their browser. But given what Facebook has already had to deal with on the, on the social level, political level, I suspect it's going to be a headwind next year. So to me, you might see earnings not be as robust as they are, and you might see sales growth start to plateau. and then all also, as uh, Julia just said, you may see some market share losses. So to me, maybe it, there's other places to be.
1: I think that's an interesting point in that, you know, people make that comparison to the Microsoft antitrust trial. And what happened to Microsoft afterwards, which was Microsoft stock actually got stronger and did fine. But Microsoft was never ca- called the, the, the force that that causes all of society's ills. I mean, it's a very different perception of Facebook <laughs> okay. these days amidst these antitrust allegations, Tim.
3: I think you're right. Uh, look, I think antitrust for Facebook, we've talked about this at times, could actually be a catalyst for the stock because we've talked about some of the undervalued properties, notably uh, Instagram, possibly WhatsApp. So I'm, I'm not worried about that. I actually think that that's maybe a positive. but I, I think the, the first of all, the the growing awareness, social awareness of the social dilemma, um, is something that's a big issue for Facebook. And, and I'll let Guy talk about ESG because he's brought that up, and I, and I think he's right. Uh, but I, I also just think that the you can see where Apple and obviously Google, uh, where they are in competition, are going to seek to distance themselves from this, this, this social, you know, uh, whatever you want to call it. Maybe it's a stigma. Maybe it's the reality. Um, I think this is something to watch. The flip side of that, again, once again, for Facebook is their growth in e-commerce. Facebook shops is a big area for them. And it was part of the re-rating of the stock from 220 up to mm-hmm. 280.
1: Yep. Um, Guy, just yesterday on Fast Money, we were talking about, or you were talking about specifically, um, the, the the lagging nature of the stock since about you know mid-August, September or so.
2: Yeah, and I brought it up and we talked about Kierkegaard and we had a fun conversation. It's fun. And, always when you mention you know, a Danish n- poet,
1: it's always fun times.
2: You know, I, I find it to be, especially, you <laughs> yes. know, and we can talk about it on a two-hour show this evening. But my point was, again, I, I'm, I don't, I've said it a hundred times on the show, there's nothing about Facebook I like other than the stock. And what I tried to point out last night was the stock has been lagging now for quite some time and it's something to watch. And oh, by the way... All the things we talked about, the one thing that concerns me, the reason I brought up Kierkegaard was the existential risk, and I still say this, is ESG investing, to your earlier point. I mean, everybody seems to have a bullseye on the back of Facebook, maybe for justified reasons in terms of them being the ills of of mankind and those types of things. But if they fall under the auspices of ESG investing, watch out. Just look what happened to tobacco and look what happened to the big oil Uh, Over the last year, I just think it's something you have to consider. And don't be so dogmatic in your views, folks.
1: All right. We got more answers to your questions on this bonus fast money, including splits. They happen in both stock trading and track and field, but which will impact Nike more in the new year? We're back right after this. Welcome back to a bonus hour of fast money. We're continuing to answer some of your most burning stock questions and we are running right into this next one.
10: Hey fast money. My name is Vinny. Uh, big fan of the show. I watch all the time at Albert's Pizza. That's where I work. Uh, Long Island native. I just had a quick question. I was wondering if there's a possibility of another Nike split um, because five years ago they were around the same price and they ended up doing a two to one split. So uh, thank you for your time.
1: Long Island. Go Long Island. Um, Tim Seymour, what do you tell him?
3: (laughs) Love Vinny from Long Island. Albert's Pizza, by the way. I mean, it might as well be Ray's original. It's so good. Everybody knows that. Um, Vinny, the story on Nike, I I don't think is really about a stock split. I think that and and we spent a lot of time because we've had a lot of time to talk about stock splits, uh, whether it's been Tesla or Apple and what that's done to the share price. I would imagine it would do something positive for Nike's share price, but the most important thing is what you got on those numbers they announced last Friday, which is that their digital business, their DTC business continues to crank. Uh, that's helping and, and, and it's the margins held up, even despite the fact that that could be an impact to the margin. So the biggest issue with Nike right now, Vinny, is all in the price. Uh, on a trailing basis, and the reason I bring it up is because certainly you know Nike's had a great year through COVID and some of these trends I've talked about, but you know, it's, it's 80 times trailing. Um, this company is not cheap. I am long. Uh, I am concerned about the valuation. Uh, but I do think that's, you know, part of why this company is what you want to own. They should be trading at a premium.
1: We had Gino's Pizza in Great Neck. So I'll have to try Albert's Pizza um, wherever Vinny is. Guy, what do you right say?
2: On. First of all, there's a lot of areas of Great Neck. It's like east, west, north, south. Which part of Great Neck are you from, Mel? I'm from South south great neck great next, and 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 you went to that high school what <laughs> great, what is great their neck south, what is their called, mascot appropriately yeah
1: it used to right, be appropriately. it used to be the rebels but i believe they changed it because it's no longer acceptable let's say
2: uh-huh oh yeah. so you don't know you I went don't know. to high I school there i haven't been and back and you in don't a long know time. what their current mascot is this but is, you're in their hall of fame like a no doubt years I mean, ago this is a, a conversation years ago oh stop Anyway. Listen, if, Vinny, I know you watched. We play this great new game called Wrap It or Scrap It with Maurice's kids, who are brilliant, by the way. And when we did this last week ahead of earnings, I think we said wrap this sucker up and they performed on the quarter. Listen, Tim's right. Valuation is stretched, no question. But they guided higher for 2021 margin improvement. I think five different analysts raised their price target post earnings. And I think you stay with the stock regardless of whether or not there's going to be a split. All right, let's
1: get to Frank in Florida.
9: Hey, Fast Money. This is Frank from Miami. I wanted to ask you guys about AT&T. I feel like AT&T is not trading far off from its March lows and that people are underestimating HBO Max and the content that will come. What are your opinions of AT&T at this price?
1: There are a lot of concerns about AT&T, Dan, T-Mobile gaining share, disruptions in the media space with all these streaming uh, competitors coming in. What do you make of the stock?
5: You know, it's really ironic. Guy actually went through last night on the show about how T-Mobile on their wireless business has been eating their lunch, taking some share. You just obviously mentioned that. It's really interesting, though, that AT&T tried to buy T-Mobile years ago. The government wouldn't let it happen. And then what did they do? They started buying. These media assets. They bought DirecTV, um, they bought a whole host of things. Well, right now, they are literally trying to sell everything that is non-core, that's not bolted down, to raise cash because they have to pay down a lot of that debt. And so, um, to me, they're selling Crunchyroll. They're trying to get rid of um, DirecTV or at least a big stake of it. Um, Yes, you will realize some really good gains off of HBO Max and that content that they have, um, but not until the picture becomes, I think, a little clearer with that wireless group. I think, Tim's got a really good call on this big dividend. They need to pay down that debt. But the stock has been so bad that ultimately maybe you see this thing bounce in the new year.
1: They've already stood by their dividend, So we know that's safe. Tim, you you own the stock.
3: Own the stock, um, again, we have to applaud T-Mobile and and how they've completely turned the industry upside down and focused now on 5G and seem to be out front. Um, AT&T, this company, yes, there's one hundred and $40 Forty billion dollars of debt. They've already paid down thirty in in the last year. The free cash flow generation will be about twenty-six billion this year. Uh, the debt does not keep me up at night, at, at least in the environment that we're in. Uh, if anything, they've they've done a very effective job of pushing out maturities and lowering their costs, their their interest expense. So um, the key is around the content, and then the other part of it is is that the core cellular business returns to some sense where uh, you know it's not overly predatory. I I, I like AT on the sum of the parts. Um, I agree. Dan hit the strategy stuff. they probably made some major missteps here. Um, but a company that should have re-rated a bit uh, back to at least pre-COVID levels is, is trading very cheap uh, relative to that level.
1: All right. Still more coming up on this uh, special Q&A edition of Fast Money, including Amazon and the impact of unionization with a vote close at a warehouse in Alabama and examining CVS as a distribution of COVID vaccines begins We'll be right back. Welcome back to a bonus hour, Fast Money. Still a few questions left to answer, especially on news of the day.
8: Hi, Fast Money team. I have a question you pertain to Amazon. Amazon is 10% or so if it's high. It's been trading in a sideways pattern. Um, Despite the fact that analysts on the street have said that Amazon um, is going to outperform the market, it it seems like it's kind of stuck right now. And I think the highest analyst on the street has a price target of 4300 And I'm just wondering, uh, do you think this is a good entry point for Amazon, or do you think I should wait for a better entry point um, to start a new position in Amazon? Your thoughts, was greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys.
7: Before
1: we answer Phil in New Jersey, let's get the latest on Amazon's unionization with Kate Rooney. Kate.
11: I'm Melissa. Thousands of Amazon workers at a warehouse in Alabama are now one step closer to holding a vote on whether or not to unionize. After three days of hearings before the National Labor Relations Board, the tech giant and a retail union looking to represent some of Amazon's workers agreed on the size of the potential bargaining group, as well as what type of workers would be allowed to participate. The vote could include more than 5,000 full-time and seasonal employees. This really sets the stage for one of the only times Amazon's workers have had an opportunity to vote on unionizing. The last chance came six years ago for workers at a Delaware warehouse, which didn't end up passing. Amazon has gone on a hiring spree during the pandemic, adding about 1,400 employees per day. The safety and pay of those Amazon workers at fulfillment centers and grocery stores are now front and center during U.S. shutdowns. It's up to the Labor Relations Board to, d- to, to determine how and when the vote will be held next year. It's expected in mid-January, but Amazon and the union still disagree on whether the vote should happen by mail or at the facility. Melissa.
1: Kate, thank you. Kate Rooney on the latest uh, on Amazon's unionization threat. And I say threat, Guy, because obviously this could mean increased costs for labor for Amazon for, in terms of benefits, in terms of wages Etc. So, what do you tell Phil in New Jersey about Amazon?
2: And obviously, the concern there, margins would contract, and that's obviously one of the big, the big inputs there in terms of the stock has been margins. What I tell Phil is, go back to September first, and I know he knows this, but the stock went from thirty-five fifty to twenty-nine fifty, basically in a straight line over a two-week period. We're in the middle of that now. In terms of position. It always looks terrifying. I'd layer in. I mean, I I never really say this, but in terms of Amazon, I think you can. You buy a portion here and you look for potentially that move back to twenty nine fifty to buy the remainder of your position. That's the way I would play it
3: into twenty twenty one.
1: Yeah. Tim, what's your take on this story?
3: Uh, I'm less worried about. The the dynamics of the story and the cost impact to Amazon, Uh, I I care a lot more about the e-commerce trends that are very much in their favor. I actually like the fact that the stock's been consolidating and underperforming a bit. Uh, I think the AWS uh, slower growth is a problem, uh, possibly for the multiple, but uh, I love the e-commerce trends. Amazon only dominates more next year.
1: Yeah, so let's say margins get thinner. you got volumes up, right, Dan? And maybe volumes are up in a secular way, meaning they will stick higher because people have changed the way they shop.
5: Yeah, the retail margins have always been uh, about as thin as it could get um, for this story. But listen, I agree with Tim on the consolidation here. This thing had such a huge ramp off the March lows. The fact that it continued to run into the end of the summer and is now consolidated, I think that's kind of bullish. When you see money come out of this rotation trade, some of the industrials and energy and financials, that sort of thing, once that they kind of mean revert a little bit, you'll probably see Amazon make a move back towards those highs. So to answer his question, it depends on time horizon as a trade play for those levels of 3500 um, you know sometime in the new year um, but this is one that i think people want to put away for their kids
1: all right let's get to one on the pharmacy and retail space
5: is CVS stock a steal
2: at the current price levels
1: all right CVS guy what do you say
2: that was a succinct question Very. i mean that's like That's fantastic. (laughs) I don't think it's a steal. I mean, people say valuation, it's cheap, but you have no EPS growth. I mean, you probably have flat EPS year over year. So it's not a steal in that sense. In terms of the stock, I think 77-ish has been a double top. I think you're looking for a breakout above there. um, But I don't think it's a steal at all. I think you got to wait and see into earnings, I believe, early February. By the way, one of the concerns here in CVS is it's going to get Amazoned. Going back
3: to our prior question,
1: mm-hmm. Tim.
3: Yeah, I think that the, the valuation is a function of where the pharma business may be changing. Amazon's entrance into the pharma biz. Uh, just there were concerns uh, around elections and the, the, you know, the, the pharma benefits uh, dynamics with the company. But as a retail play, uh, I actually think they benefit in the next six to 12 months of fiscal support and, and really where people are doing their shopping. Um, So I like the stock longer term.
1: They are an essential service and they are instrumental in vaccine distribution at this point in time. So um, shorter term, Dan, what do you think of CVS?
5: Yeah, I mean, again, it went from 55 in early November up to 75. So it's come back here to the high 60s. I don't think it's a steal by any means, but if there's something that you like about this story, then you buy it on weakness, thinking that 55 to the downside is probably your worst case scenario in the near term.
1: All right. Can you believe it? This is going to be the last what? question of this particular bonus hour of Fast Money, perhaps reflective of the volatile year we've had.
2: Hey, Fast Money. A couple of investors I've been following, Chris Saka and Roger McNamee, have hinted it's a good time to take some money off the table. What do you think?
1: One, I love that Bill in Idaho is filming himself in front of a deer tractor. I think that just... It's gold. Guy Dami, what do you say?
2: I did some great fly fishing in Idaho. Um, Wonderful state, by the way. And yes, I've been. I think Chris Saka and and Mr. McNamee, they're geniuses. And if they're getting cautious here, it's not a bad idea to be cautious. And I also love the fact that Shepard Smith might be sitting at his desk right right now watching the end of this show wishing that he was hanging out with us. That's just my sense.
1: I believe that he wishes that he were hanging out with us. But he is off today. And the lovely and talented Contessa Brewer is going Mm -hmm. to be in, which is just as exciting, at least for me. Um, Dan Nathan, what do you say?
5: Yeah, um, I think a major, a really important point here is is Chris Saka and um, Roger are both you know, VC investors. They invest early sure. in companies at a very early stage of their growth. So for them, oh. the time horizon is very, very different. I think what they're really speaking to is about valuations. Some of these companies that have exited and gone into public markets, and they're probably trading at valuations they never thought were possible. So I'm kind of in their camp, obviously. And I'll throw in Bill Gurley, who was on the closing bell yesterday, a benchmark, who also made some commentary about valuations and such. He didn't go so far as to say take money off the table, but he did say that a few years ago, he thought things were getting a bit frothy. Um, So that's a great interview. Go listen to that one too. So throw another genius investor um, onto the pile.
1: It was my mistake. Shep Smith is in fact in. So my sincerest apologies to Shepard, contestants in tomorrow. Uh, Tim Seymour, what do you say? You agree with Saka and McNamee?
3: So um, Mel, while I sat there quietly looking like I was still getting audio, um, I actually didn't hear any of it. So I'm back. Time to Can take you, money off would the you table. Mind paraphrasing Time to for take
1: me? money off the table going to the new year. <laughs> uh,
3: well done. Um, very succinct, by the way. Look, I, I think you have a case where uh, there are certain parts of the market that have that have had very big runs. We've talked about pet tech, but more importantly, we've talked about high flying momentum stocks around software uh, and some of the big data plays. And I think those are the places I would be most concerned about. The industrial rotation uh, is something that I think you actually should be adding into strength.
1: We are off tomorrow, but don't worry. Next week, bonus hours all week long. The news with Shepard Smith starts right now.